0: Chapter forty seven of the Old Curiosity Shop This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information on to volunteer, please visit Librivox. org. The Old Curiosity Shop by Charles Dickens. Chapter forty seven Kit's mother and the single gentleman, upon whose track it is expedient to follow with hurried steps lest this history should be chargeable with inconstancy, and the offence of leaving its characters in situations of uncertainty and doubt. Kit's mother and the single gentleman, speeding onward in the post-chaise and four, whose departure from the notary's door we have already witnessed, soon left the town behind them, and struck fire from the flints of the broad highway the good woman being not a little embarrassed by the novelty of her situation, and certain material apprehensions that perhaps by this time little Jacob, or the baby, or both, had fallen into the fire, or tumbled downstairs, or had been squeezed behind doors, or had scolded their windpipes in endeavouring to allay their thirst at the spouts of tea-kettles, preserved an uneasy silence, and, meeting from the window the eyes of turnpike-men, omnibus drivers and others felt in the new dignity of her position like a mourner at a funeral who not being greatly afflicted by the loss of the departed recognizes his everyday acquaintance from the window of the mourning coach but is constrained to preserve a decent solemnity and the appearance of being indifferent to all external objects To have been indifferent to the companionship of the single gentleman would have been tantamount to being gifted with nerves of steel. Never did Chase in close or horses draw such a restless gentleman as he. He never sat in the same position for two minutes together, but was perpetually tossing his arms and legs about, pulling up the sashes and letting them violently down, or thrusting his head out of the window to draw it in again and thrust it out of another. He carried in his pocket, too, a fire-box of mysterious and unknown construction. And as sure as ever Kit's mother closed her eyes. So surely, whisk, rattle, fizz, there was the single gentleman consulting his watch by a flame of fire, and letting the sparks fall down among the straw, as if there were no such thing as a possibility of himself and Kit's mother being roasted alive before the boys could stop their horses. Whenever they halted to change there he was out of the carriage without letting down the steps bursting about the inn yard like a lighted cracker pulling out his watch by lamplight and forgetting to look at it before he put it up again and in short committing so many extravagances that Kit's mother was quite afraid of him then when the horses were to in he came like a harlequin and before they had gone a mile out came the watch and the fire-box together and Kit's mother was wide awake again with no hope of a wink of sleep for that stage. Are you comfortable? The single gentleman would say after one of these exploits turning sharply round. Quite, sir, thank you. Are you sure? Aren't you cold? It is a little chilly, sir, Kit's mother would reply. I knew it, cried the single gentleman, letting down one of the front glasses. She wants some brandy-and-water. Of course she does. How could I forget it? Hello! Stop at the next inn and call out for a glass of hot brandy-and-water! It was in vain for Kit's mother to protest that she stood in need of nothing of the kind. The single gentleman was inexorable, and whenever he had exhausted all other modes and fashions of restlessness, it invariably occurred to him that Kit's mother wanted brandy-and-water. In this way they travelled on until near midnight, when they stopped to supper, for which meal the single gentleman ordered everything eatable that the house contained, and because Kit's mother didn't eat everything at once, and eat it all, he took it into his head that she must be ill. "'You're faint,' said the single gentleman, who did nothing himself but walk about the room. "'I see what's the matter with you, ma'am. You're faint.' Thank you, sir. I'm not indeed. I know you are. I'm sure of it. I drag this poor woman from the bosom of her family at a minute's notice, and she goes on getting fainter and fainter before my eyes. I'm a pretty fellow. How many children have you got, ma'am? Two, sir. Besides kit. Boys, ma'am? Yes, sir. Are they christened? Only half-baptised as yet, sir. I'm godfather to both of them. "'Remember that, if you please, ma'am. You had better have some mulled wine.' "'I couldn't touch a drop indeed, sir.' "'You must,' said the single gentleman. "'I see you want it. I ought to have thought of it before.' Immediately flying to the bell, and calling for mulled wine as impetuously as if it had been wanted for instant use in the recovery of some person apparently drowned, the single gentleman made Kit's mother swallow a bumper of it at such a high temperature that the tears ran down her face, and then hustled her off to the chaise again, where, not impossibly from the effects of this agreeable sedative, she soon became insensible to his restlessness and fell fast asleep. Nor were the happy effects of this prescription of a transitory nature, as, notwithstanding that the disease was greater and the journey longer, than the single gentleman had anticipated, she did not awake until it was broad day and they were clattering over the pavement of a town this is the place cried her companion letting down all the glasses drive to the waxwork the boy on the wheeler touched his head and setting spurs to his horse to the end that they might go in brilliantly all four broke into a smart canter and dashed through the streets with a noise that brought the good folks wandering to their doors and windows and drowned the sober voices of the town-clocks as they chimed out half-past eight. They drove up to a door round which a crowd of persons were collected, and there stopped. "'What's this?' said the single gentleman, thrusting out his head. "'Is anything the matter here?' "'A wedding, sir! A wedding!' cried several voices. "'Hurrah!' The single gentleman, rather bewildered by finding himself the centre of this noisy throng, alighted with the assistance of one of the postilions, and handed out Kit's mother, at sight of whom the populace cried out, "'Here's another wedding!' and roared and leaped for joy. "'The world has gone mad, I think,' said the single gentleman, pressing through the concourse with his supposed bride. "'Stand back here, will you, and let me knock?' Anything that makes a noise is satisfactory to a crowd. A score of dirty hands were raised directly to knock for him, and seldom has a knocker of equal powers been made to produce more deafening sounds than this particular engine on the occasion in question. Having rendered these voluntary services, the throng modestly retired a little, preferring that the single gentleman should bear their consequences alone. "'Now, sir, what do you want?' said a man with a large white bow at his button-hole, opening the door and confronting him with a very stoical aspect." "'Who has been married here, my friend?' said the single gentleman. "'I have. "'You? "'And to whom in the devil's name?' "'What right have you to ask?' returned the bridegroom, eyeing him from top to toe. "'What right?' cried the single gentleman, "'drawing the arm of Kit's mother more tightly through his own, "'for that good woman evidently had it in contemplation to run away. "'A right you little dream of!' "'Mind, good people, if this fellow has been marrying a minor—tut-tut, that can't be! Where is the child you have here, my good fellow? You call her Nell. Where is she?' As he propounded this question, which Kit's mother echoed, somebody in a room near at hand uttered a great shriek, and a stout lady in a white dress came running to the door and supported herself upon the bridegroom's arm. "'Where is she?' cried this lady. "'What news have you brought me? What has become of her?' The single gentleman started back and gazed upon the face of the late Mrs. Jarley, that morning wedded to the philosophic George, to the eternal wrath and despair of Mr. Slum the Poet, with looks of conflicting apprehension, disappointment, and incredulity. At length he stammered out, "'I ask you where she is. What do you mean?' "'Oh, sir!' "'cried the bride. "'If you have come here to do her any good, "'why weren't you here a week ago?' "'She is not... not dead?' "'said the person to whom she addressed herself, "'turning very pale. "'No, not so bad as that.' "'I thank God!' "'cried the single gentleman feebly. "'Let me come in.' "'They drew back to admit him, "'and when he had entered, closed the door. "'You see in me... "'Good people,' he said, turning to the newly married couple, "'one to whom life itself is not dearer than the two persons whom I seek. "'They would not know me. "'My features are strange to them. "'But if they or either of them are here, "'take this good woman with you and let them see her first, "'for her they both know. "'If you deny them from any mistaken regard or fear for them,' judge of my intentions by their recognition of this person as their old humble friend. ''I always said it,'' cried the bride, ''I knew she was not a common child. Alas, sir, we have no power to help you, for all that we could do has been tried and vain.'' With that, they related to him without disguise or concealment. All that they knew of Nell and her grandfather, from their first meeting with them down to the time of their sudden disappearance, adding, which was quite true, that they had made every possible effort to trace them, but without success, having been at first in great alarm for their safety, as well as on account of the suspicions to which they themselves might one day be exposed in consequence of their abrupt departure, they dwelt upon the old man's imbecility of mind upon the uneasiness the child had always testified when he was absent, upon the company he had been supposed to keep, and upon the increased depression which had gradually crept over her and changed her both in health and spirits. Whether she had missed the old man in the night, and knowing or conjecturing whether he had bent his steps, had gone in pursuit, or whether they had left the house together, they had no means of determining, Certain they considered it, that there was but slender prospect left of hearing of them again, and that whether their flight originated with the old man, or with the child, there was now no hope of their return. To all this the single gentleman listened with the air of a man quite borne down by grief and disappointment. He shed tears when they spoke of the grandfather, and appeared in deep affliction. Not to protract this portion of our narrative, and to make short work of a long story, let it be briefly written that before the interview came to a close, the single gentleman deemed he had sufficient evidence of having been told the truth, and that he endeavoured to force upon the bride and bridegroom an acknowledgment of their kindness to the unfriended child which, however, they steadily declined accepting. In the end... The happy couple jolted away in the caravan to spend their honeymoon in a country excursion, and the single gentleman and Kit's mother stood ruefully before their carriage door. "'Where shall we drive you, sir?' said the post "'You may drive me,' said the single gentleman, to the... He was not going to add in, but he added it for the sake of Kit's mother. And to the inn they went.' Rumours had already got abroad that the little girl who used to show the waxwork was the child of great people who had been stolen from her parents in infancy, and had only just been traced. Opinion was divided whether she was the daughter of a prince, a duke, an earl, a viscount or a baron, but all agreed upon the main fact, and that the single gentleman was her father. And all bent forward to catch a glimpse though it were only of the tip of his noble nose, as he rode away, desponding, in his four-horse chaise. What would he have given to know, and what sorrow would have been saved, if he had only known that at that moment both child and grandfather were seated in the old church porch, patiently awaiting the schoolmaster's return. End of chapter 47